Our scripture reading this morning is going to be found in Colossians chapter 2. And if you want to follow along in the Pew Bibles that are there in the seats, that's found on page 1225. 1225. And so we're going to look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 together this morning. And so Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am present in the body, yet I am with you. I'm sorry, for, for though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to christ for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority this is the word of the lord if you would pray with me and then we're going to look at that together god we thank you for this opportunity to gather in your name we thank you for this beautiful day that you've created we thank you for this place that you've provided We thank you that we can spend time in your word together, that you have given us your word, that you have spoken directly to us about who you are and what it means to live in light of that and who we are in light of what you've done for us. And so we pray that as we spend time in your word, that you would teach us, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you correct us, that you would encourage us greatly today uh, through what you've done for us in Jesus. And so we just ask that you would be the one that teaches us, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds. We confess each week as we gather, we cannot do any of this without you. And so we pray that you would be the one leading and guiding our time this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, If you've been with us, you know, since uh, going back March, I think beginning of March, uh, we have been in the book of Romans. And so we've been working our way through the book of Romans. And so uh, coming up last week, we finished chapter 7 of Romans. And when we set out at the beginning of the year to do this series in Romans, we said we're going to do kind of a half time. We're going to take a break in the middle. And then we're going to do a little bit longer series on Romans chapter 8. We're going to pick back up in Romans. Romans chapter 8, often referred to as maybe the greatest chapter in the Bible. There is so much there. And so we're going to do a longer section kind of on Romans 8. Then we'll probably do another short series and then we will finish out Romans. And so we're not abandoning Romans. This is kind of like half time of Romans. But we're going to do a short series here for the next few weeks. And so what we're going to do is I want us to think about uh, starting today and for the next few weeks is uh, how do we have or what does it look like to have a a Christian worldview, to see things biblically, to see things as God has told us to and what that looks like. And so a worldview is just simply we all have one. Every single person you meet has a worldview. It's just the perspective from which one sees and then interprets the world. And so every single one of us, uh, depending on where we were born and where we grew up and a whole bunch of factors are are, are, uh, filling into that to kind of help develop our worldview. And so when we become 
a believer, we want to now shape that through God's word and what he's told us and what that looks like. But oftentimes, and, and not pointing the finger at anyone, this is all of us, me included, we have all sorts of factors coming in and influencing the way we see the world that, that then contributes to our worldview. And so we are constantly bombarded all around us with different things that are telling us the way, what is true and the way the world is and how we should respond and what it looks like. And so we're constantly having all these things come in. And overwhelmingly in our culture, things that we're bombarded with are not a biblical worldview or not a Christian worldview. We're being bombarded with things that are very much the opposite of what God tells us. And we see it all around us. And so uh, today we're going to think about that together. And I, I just share kind of from my heart here on why to do that. Uh, lately, I've just felt this heaviness, a weariness, um, a struggle, kind of a drain in the sadness of how even within the church, uh, oftentimes we don't have a biblical worldview. We don't see things the way God, or, or we pick and choose, or we see just little bits and pieces of it. And uh, I was reading an article uh, just this past week and actually talking to a couple of other friends that are pastors in our network in Acts 29. And we were talking about just how that's difficult to see things that you see very clearly as a pastor, that this is what scripture says, but then so many in the around us, friends, neighbors, people, but also within the church and not just our church, but the church universal, all believers just totally dismiss that it's not what the Bible says, but we don't seem to care. And that biblical worldview kind of gets pushed to the side. And so I was reading this article this week and the gentleman's a pastor and he was writing about one of the struggles of being a pastor. And and some of the things he said really resonated with me, but there was just a couple sentences in this article that he said and just share with you. And he says this, he says, pastors today feel like they must entertain, inspire and instruct a little all the while never really challenging the worldview are tribal instincts that make us Christians seem little different than anyone else. Mostly people come to church to be affirmed, encouraged, and given some tips to get God on their side and their self-improvement strivings for the good life. And everybody said, yeah, that's the weight of feeling that. When we don't embrace the things that God tells us. And not only do we not embrace them, we kind of say, I don't really want you to challenge my worldview. I don't really want you to tell me things that are the opposite of of what I feel and what I want to embrace right now. And so uh, the the weightiness of pastoral ministry, as we've done this at different times, and we talk about this and we say this and you challenge people and had this happen many, many times over the last 10 years, people will just go, that's fine, but I'm going to leave and go somewhere else. I'll go somewhere else where they don't challenge me on those things. And it's like this sadness, this difficulty in that that's hard. That's like, ah, oh, but that's not what we're called to. And so it can be exhausting. It can be draining at different times. Um, full disclosure, right now for me personally, I feel like this is the hardest time to do so for this reason. Uh, it's a presidential election cycle. And what I see regularly is now in my lifetime anyway an extreme bipartisanship that i've never seen before two extremes it's either this or it's that choose your team what side are you on and which one are you going to be and you're this but you're not that and what ends up happening is people choose teams they embrace a political party 
They embrace a political agenda and the biblical worldview gets co-opted for something that is far less than what Jesus calls us to. And it's exhausting. And it's sad to me. (laughs) And it's hard in the midst of that when that happens. And so what happens is we get kind of divided up into those teams and it's either this or it's that. Now, please hear me. That doesn't mean don't care about politics. That doesn't mean don't be involved. That doesn't mean don't be thoughtful and thinking. We are called to love our neighbors, to care about our community, to care about our world and our country. God's placed us here. We should be involved. So don't hear me saying that. But please hear this. And I thought long and hard about the way to say this. And I think what I'm saying is is very accurate. But please hear exactly how I say it. If your worldview is completely being shaped by a political party today, completely being shaped, any political party today, it's not a biblical worldview. There is no political party that holds perfectly to what Scripture says. It doesn't exist. We're not even trying that. Political parties aren't trying to do that. They're not taking it through the lens of what does it look like to honor Jesus and everything. And so I would just warn all of us to not get our identity, to not get our worldview from what a political party says or a club or what the news says or any of those kind of things. We let God's word stand over us in that regard. And so I see this regularly in in the two things I would say that, that lead to that struggle. One is ignorance. We just don't know what the Bible says. Uh, We've become very biblically illiterate in our culture today, especially in America. And so one, we just don't know what the Bible says. But two, I'd say the other side of that, and often these work in tandem, either it's ignorance or it's unbelief. I see what the Bible says, and I hear people regularly say this to me. Here's what the Bible says, and here's what God calls us to, but that's not how the world works. And if we want to make things happen, we've got to embrace these other things that go directly against what Jesus says. Whoa. That is a sad and hard place to be. And so feeling some of those things is why I want us to talk about a biblical worldview and how we develop it and how we grow in it. But there's also one other thing that kind of prompted this. Uh, If you know what the Barna Group is, maybe you've heard of the Barna Group. They've been around for about 30 plus years. They do research. They do these um, in-depth polls and questionnaires about what people believe and their beliefs in the world. And and they they really focus on what the church, the Christian church, believes in America. And they just publish their findings every so often. And so they just came out recently with the state of the church in 2020. And so they do this questionnaire that's like 50-something questions. And based on the, the answers, they then take all this data and they put it out there. And so Barna Group just did this for 2020. And of those that profess to be Christians in America, what they found is that 6% have a biblical worldview. Of those that profess to be believers. Now, that's all people that profess to be Christian of any denomination. Born again, someone who uh, identifies as born again and evangelical, those two headings, it then raises to about 18% but it's still 18% have a biblical worldview. And I read that, and, and I thought about the things that I hear and the things that I see, and then go back to Matthew 
chapter 28, what is what we call the Great Commission. Jesus is marching orders for the church, the last thing he tells us before the ascension. And in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, it says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so, by the way, when we say things like, yeah, that's what the Bible says, but that's not the way the world works. We are unbelief. We are in unbelief to what Jesus says when he says all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. There's not a square inch on the face of the planet that you will step that Jesus is not ruling and reigning over. And so he says, all authority has been given to me. And then he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we say here all the time, discipleship, that's what we exist to do, to make disciples that make disciples. That's what we say as our mission as a church. To make disciples that make disciples. And then we define that as bringing every area of our life under the lordship of Jesus. By the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're called to be as believers. And so to bring every area of our life under the lordship of Jesus is exactly, by the way, we got that definition from the Great Commission when Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded. Every area of our life under the lordship of Jesus. But what the Barna research says for the church in America is 6% of those that profess to be Christians are fully, fully formed disciples or a mature disciple, maybe not fully formed. Wouldn't say fully formed in this. None of us has a perfect biblical worldview. This side of Jesus coming back or before we die, we're not going to have it perfect. None of us do. But we are called to continue to grow in that and to help one another to grow in that. And what happens is we regularly reinvent what we want to believe and how we see it. And oftentimes it's not based on what God says. And so I read that article. He says, inspire and instruct a little all the while, never really challenging the worldview or tribal instincts that make us look very no different than the rest of the world. And that's discouraging and it's frustrating and so what do we do and so we're going to spend time in god's word and we're going to seek to point to what does it look like to have a biblical worldview we're going to take jesus at his word that he says all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me that i am with you always to the end of the age so continue to make disciples that make disciples and so i want us just to think through uh this morning just real briefly two passages The first one's Colossians chapter 2, if you want to turn there, that I read for you just a second ago. Again, that's 1225 in the Pew Bible, if you want to follow along. And I want us to kind of lay the foundation as we think about a biblical worldview. And then my hope is the next few weeks we're going to kind of build on that, think about how we develop and how we grow in that, and then practically thinking through what does it look like to think biblically. How do we take all the things that Scripture says and begin to put them in a way that we see things from a biblical or or Christian worldview? And so if you look at Colossians chapter 2 with me, let me just set the, the scene here. Colossians is one of Paul's prison epistles. He writes from prison in Rome to the church in Colossae to encourage them. And the church there is struggling with uh, false teachers. 
They're embracing a, a non-biblical worldview in a lot of ways. These things are being kind of pulled into the church and people are kind of getting taken in by these things. And so Paul writes to encourage them. And he tells us something really, really important here about what it looks like to have a biblical worldview. To really see things through the way God has revealed them. And he gives us a key here in order to do so. So foundationally, we need to start here. And so look at what he says there in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. And so I want you to just notice the connection he makes here. He's telling them, I I want you in verse 2 to be encouraged and knit together and to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding of the knowledge of God. I want you to have this. I want you to see fully who God is. What he's saying is I want you to have a biblical worldview that sees everything through who God is and what he's done and who you are in Jesus. And I want you to have the fullness of that. And he says in the, in the key to that, right there at the end of verse 2 and beginning of verse 3, is he says the key to that is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But then notice the connection there between verse 3 and 4. So it's in Christ where everything is hidden. And then he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. The word delude just means to deceive, to trick you. Throw other things in that you go, oh, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And he says that if you don't see how it holds together in Jesus in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, you'll miss this. That it's only in Jesus. And so he's pointing us to that truth that we have to see how everything holds together in Jesus or we'll miss it. And then he says in verse six, therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, bounding in thanksgiving. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive in philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And so he says, don't be deceived. Don't be deluded. You hold fast that Jesus is the key to all of this. Because as soon as you stop seeing that, it's then a short step to being taken captive by philosophy and tradition and all these other things. He says how quickly we kind of spiral down. How quickly we start to synthesize all these other things. And suddenly we're not holding to the truth anymore. Suddenly we don't have a biblical worldview. We've added all these other things that don't say what God's word says, that don't point us to who Jesus is and what he's done. And then suddenly we've got a mishmash of stuff. And we're nowhere close to holding fast to the truth of of who Jesus is and who God is and what he's done. And so what he says here about holding fast to Jesus, and he is the key 
to all wisdom and knowledge. And for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That when we see Jesus, we see God. And that's Hebrews 1. He's the exact imprint of the very nature of God. So just John says in John 1, over and over, we're reminded of this. And so here at Coda, we say all the time, we are a Christ-centered church. When we teach the Bible, we want it to come back to who Jesus is and how it points us to him. We want to do Christ-centered exposition. We want to see how Jesus is the key to all. That he is God's plan for humanity. That if we... We have to look to him and see him as the center of all human history and how it holds together or we will quickly get off course. And so that's what scripture is telling us is what Paul's telling us here. And if we end up with a worldview where Jesus is not central, he's just a character in the story or he's just a great teacher or he's just a man who lived or he's just someone that maybe we should take some of his teachings and sort of apply it when it fits our needs. We've missed the truth of who God is. We don't have a biblical worldview anymore. As soon as Jesus is removed from the center of the story that holds it all together, we're now lost. We're no longer walking in a biblical worldview. And when unbelief in our heart comes and we go, man, I don't know how that'll work or what that looks like. Just be reminded what Jesus says when he says all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Same thing Paul says here, if you look closely in verse 10, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Jesus is God who has come to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And so what we've been saying is if you've been with us in Romans is at the heart of Romans is this reminder over and over that we are sinful, broken people that can never do this on our own. And Paul spends three chapters developing how sinful we are, how none of us can do it, that it's all Jesus and what he's come to do. And so one of the things I've been saying in Romans over and over is how we put, we we slide into that lie that the world and our lives and these things are about me rather than about God and what he's doing for us in Jesus. And as soon as we go down that road and we start to think that way, we're now way off track from a biblical worldview or a Christian worldview, what scripture tells us. Because it tells us over and over that Jesus is the center of all of it. That God's plan for redemption of his creation centers around the person and work of Jesus. And if we miss that, we miss the whole thing. And so we have to see that Jesus is the center of all, that he holds all wisdom and knowledge. And so the whole of the Bible is this story that centers around what God's doing in Jesus. Not just the Bible, but the whole of human history is about what Jesus has done and who we are in light of him. Jesus is not here to be our guru or our buddy that gives us some good advice that we either choose to take or we don't. He is the Lord of all creation. And so when we think about that, and I read what this guy writes in this article, and he says, we're just inspire, instruct a little, all the while never really challenging the worldview or tribal instincts that make us Christians seem little different than anyone else. That makes no sense from a biblical worldview. 
If Jesus is the center of all things, if he alone can do what we can't do for us, that makes zero sense. And so it's not until we see that he's the center of all things that everything else takes its proper place. So I was thinking about that. That moment in which we see the fullness of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus and how it switches everything. That he is now central to all. And I was thinking about uh, an old movie. Uh, I say old. It's, it doesn't seem old to me, but when I looked it up, it's 21 years old. But uh, maybe you've seen it. There's a movie called The Sixth Sense. And it's always on the list of those movies. Uh, I looked it up this week. The, the best surprise endings. You ever seen those? Any movie, you get to the end and all of a sudden there's like a big reveal in the last movement, the last 10, 20 minutes, whatever, and everything changes and you're like, ah, what just happened? It changes the movie completely. And so The Sixth Sense was real popular, I guess, <clears throat> about the time I was in college. And in the movie, uh, it's, it's a story of, of a young boy that's struggling in his life because he believes he sees dead people. He sees ghosts. And so the movie's about a therapist that comes alongside of him and he's helping him work through it. And so the movie's really about this therapist kind of helping this boy in their relationship and the way he's walking him through this. And you see this picture that's kind of forming. And you think, oh, okay, I see what this movie is. And then all of a sudden it gets to the very last at the end of the movie. And uh, you find out that the therapist is actually dead. That the boy does see dead people. And the therapist is dead. And suddenly it changes everything. And you go, whoa, whoa wait a second. Sorry, I just completely spoiled one of the biggest surprise endings. It is 21 years old, so there's a statute of limitations. If you haven't seen it by now, I'm allowed to spoil it. But it gets to the end. But what happens is it changes the whole story. And so suddenly you go, oh, this is not what I thought it was. This is not the therapist helping this poor child that, that doesn't see things as they are. No, the kid's actually seeing things as they are. And it's the opposite of that. And so when we come to Scripture and we see the fullness of the story of what God's doing and we see that it's Jesus who has come to save us, it's not God giving us some good advice. It's not Jesus coming and I'm an example and follow me the best you can, if you will. It's the God of the universe pursuing a sinful people to redeem us in a way that we could never, ever do on ourselves, through ourselves, by ourselves, but Jesus has come to do for us what we could never do. And the story's not about us. It's about God and his faithfulness to us. And that in Jesus is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge because he is what the story is all about. And suddenly you go, oh, it switches all of it. It's not about me. Jesus hasn't come to be my buddy or my guru to give me some good advice. He is the God of the universe that has come to redeem and save me what I could never do for myself. And if we miss that, we miss what the Bible is about. We miss the way God is working. We miss what a biblical worldview looks like. If you would turn with me to Luke 24, and we're going to end there this morning just real briefly. I'm going to just show you this one, one other way. And this is one of Jesus's uh, post-resurrection uh, appearances to the disciples. And so this is right after the resurrection. There's been a couple of, they've seen him, they're talking about it, they're trying to figure out what's going on, and Jesus appears to them. And he stands 
in front of them. He says, peace be with you. And he shows them his hands and his side. And he says, touch me and see that I'm real. And he's having this interaction with them. But then he says this in verse 44 of Luke chapter 24. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power on high. And I like to say about that passage that what we have there is Jesus comes and he begins to unfold for them the whole of human history, the whole story. And what we have here is the the greatest Bible study that's ever taken place. It says Jesus took the scriptures, the Old Testament, right? The, The conception he uses there of the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. That's just the whole of the Old Testament. And it says he opened their eyes to see how all of it points to him. That in him is hidden all the treasure Uh, treasures of wisdom and knowledge that jesus is central to everything that god is doing and he teaches them how to read the bible which by the way that's where our conviction comes to be a christ-centered church that does christ-centered exposition that points to how jesus is the fulfillment of everything in scripture because that's how jesus teaches us to read the bible to see that it all points back to him that he is the point of human history. And so as we think about having a biblical worldview, Jesus has to be the center of it all. If we miss this, we miss the whole thing. It's not about you, but it's about what God has done. It's not about me, but who I now am in Jesus because of what he's done for me. It's not about me and the power in which I can do things, but it is Christ in me that has done for me what I could never do for myself. And then it colors the way I see everything, the way I read the Bible. We're going to talk about that next week. If we don't see that Jesus is the center of all of it, we'll misuse the Bible. We'll misread it. We'll misapply it. We'll think we have a really good biblical worldview, but we'll be missing the whole point if we don't see how it comes to fruition in Jesus. Jesus is where all wisdom and knowledge is found. He's not just a piece of the puzzle. He's the whole. And until we see that, we won't have a biblical worldview. But when we begin to, Jesus goes from being someone who maybe inspires and instructs a little that we kind of take or leave what he's telling us to. He becomes Lord of our life. Who is the organizing principle of everything we do and that we are. And that is the only way we begin to live out of a biblical worldview that God's called us to. So this is so foundational and it's the first step, first spot. But if we don't start there, we'll get it all wrong. And so I just encourage you as we we leave today to be reminded of who we are in Jesus. That he is the center of all history. That he is the king. He is the one that's holding it together. That nothing is outside of his control. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. We thank you that you have come to do for us what we can't do. That you love us, that you are at work, 
that you call us into your family, that you save us into a family of faith. And then you send us out to go and to love others, to point them to you and who you are, to be reminded that it's all you're doing. And so we thank you for that truth. We pray that we would continue to see that all holds together in you. We pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.